The following program was pre-recorded. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists and community builders weeknights at 6. I'm Laura Jones. Tonight on the show, Wednesday, May 5th, is National Day of Awareness for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Relatives. And later this hour, we'll talk about it with folks working to remove barriers that prevent Indigenous people from being found once they go missing. Our guests will be Danae Shandine of MMIW, MMI Who is Missing and Restoring Ancestral Winds, Michelle Brown of the Pandos MMIW Plus Utah Campaign. And during rallies and resources, we'll get an update on Utah's MMIW task force that was finally refunded this legislative session. Representative Angela Romero will sort all that out for us coming up. Plus, Ma Black and friends will be here to talk about La Campana de Independencia Libertad. And she's going to help me with how to say that. Plus, a special three quick picks today as May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Every Monday this month, KRCL will be bringing you Mental Health Monday with resources in our community to get and give help. All right, let's start rallies and resources with special guest Representative Angela Romero. Welcome back to Radioactive, Representative. Thank you for having me. And I'm just excited to be on this um, as a guest today with all these amazing, strong women that I'm I'm seeing that the audience won't be able to see. But this is exciting. We'll take a a screen grab or two and make sure to include everyone's faces in the show post later tonight at krcl.org. But as I recall, the... Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls Task Force was a done deal. Then COVID hit and fundings were cut. And then you brought it back to get refunded this uh, last legislative session. Is that a rough picture of what happened? That is correct. But uh, we did have funding. So they took funding away from most of the task force that were um that had been um, passed through legislation. But they did give us funding. But the issue at hand was covid and um, we did have two initial meetings, but it, we just weren't able to do what we needed to do. So I, I, re, um, I ran the bill again. I extended it out for two more years. And um, I'm hoping to also get more resources in it when it comes to funding to um, be able to do an adequate study on, on where the gaps are and what the needs are. So as you've done your research to uh, argue for this bill among your peers, What is it that you found that the rest of the larger community doesn't understand about this issue, Representative Romero? It's just bringing um, our Indigenous community up front and center. When we talk about communities of color in general, um, a lot of times we're kind of in the background. And so what I wanted to do was I wanted to center this issue to show it's not only a, a problem, but it's an epidemic. And what can we do to make sure that we're taking care of all members in our community and and providing a voice for all people at the table. And one of the important things for me with this particular task force is I wanted to make sure I had native voices on the task force. So it wasn't just a bunch of elected officials and and bureaucrats talking about issues that impact a community without having that community voice there. And so that's something we'll continue to do as we move forward. So who is on the task force and what is the work before them? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a, a big question. Um, we have nine members on the task force and um, three of those members are from the community. So we have a member from Restoring Ancestral Winds. We have a, a member from the Urban Indian Center. And we also have a member from the tribal communities, as well as the director of Indian Affairs for Utah. So 
four of the members on the task force um, will be from our indigenous communities. And I'm working with our um, executive branch to make sure that the people they appoint representing the different departments are also from our indigenous community. So my goal is to make sure that the task force is majority indigenous. So we're having those honest conversations. So what's coming up this year and next? I think you said two years of funding that you've secured. So I'm guessing there's some surveys, there's some town halls. What's going to be happening and how can people get involved? First of all, we need to have a a task force meeting and decide what those goals and objectives are going to be. It's written in the code. But I also want to make sure with the the members we have now, we unfortunately, we lost um, Moroni Benali. He moved to Seattle and he was the he was the person behind the scenes doing all this work. And I wouldn't have been able to do anything with this task force without him and others that are on this call and, and at restoring ancestral wins. They, I was just the person that kind of was assisting them. They were always leading this conversation. And so um, as we move forward, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. Cause again, I want the, the task force to make those decisions. We have some goals, like we want to collect data. We want to do listening sessions, but until we have that first initial meeting, I don't want to say we're going to do this without having the buy-in of all task force members. I'm kind of curious about this conversation among your peers, your elected uh, uh, senators and house of representatives at the state level. Last week, we had another conversation about um, sexual assault, and in particular, the role of shame in the conversation for survivors, but for the broader community. And I think one of the problems that is difficult when trying to bring this uh, issue to the policy level and to the lawmaker level is the shame that lawmakers may feel in being perhaps unaware, perhaps it's not a priority. And so how have you worked with lawmakers to bring them along to support the cause? Really, it's about education. And again, that's where restoring ancestral winds and others have been a huge part of why we've been able to move the legislation. We initially started it off with adopting a resolution. Uh, so Utah was a part of uh, Murder to Missing Indigenous Women and Girls and Two-Spirited to recognize the Awareness Day, which is here on May 5th. And I know you have other members that will talk about that. And we knew once we passed that resolution that we could um, also um, pass the bill to form the task force. And so this is just the beginning of the conversations. And I really can't have those conversations without community involvement. And so that's why I've been so grateful to many of the people that'll be speaking on this issue today, um, that they were up there and they were um, educating individuals, some of my colleagues that may not have um, the sense of urgency that we do when it comes to addressing what's going on um, with our murdered and missing indigenous women and girls and two-spirited individuals. And um, also talking about stereotypes and 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 um, mis- people's, people a lot of times when they think about our indigenous populations, they think about a stereotype. And so um, um, dismantling all of that and, and really educating people about who we are as, indig- as indigenous community members and, and what our role is within our community. And so I don't want to take away from some of the others that are here to speak on this issue, but um, as a policymaker, I wanted to make sure that I was putting our our voices up front and center. And I've been lucky enough to cultivate those relationships where my colleagues trust me and they support the efforts I'm doing on behalf of this particular issue. But one thing that we really need to look at is funding to really do an adequate job of of doing the research and and diving in deep and, and coming up with some policy solutions. 
So talk to me about the funding, because there was some in the bill you got passed, but you say it sounds like there needs to be more. The funding is only specifically to fund staff to be able to staff the task force. And a majority of the task force you see at a, a state or local level, they don't really have a lot of funding. So my goal would be this session to work with the executive branch and the legislative branch and other interested organizations to um, to have a to to really deep dive into this. And so we're looking at following Minnesota's lead. They did a study and they, I think the study cost over $100,000, but they did an in-depth study so that they can know what next steps they need to make. And so I'm looking at something like that. I don't want us to just have a task force, to have a task force to say we did something and then nothing ever changes. So that, that's, one, that's one of the reasons why I'm looking into what other steps do we need to take when it comes to really deep diving in, in this issue and, and having some solid policy answers at the end of this, when, once the task force is done convening. So what do you need from the public listening today to keep supporting the ongoing work of the task force? Um, is this going to be coming up during interim sessions between now and the next session in January? We're still waiting for one final appointment since Murrow and I moved away. And then we will probably meet most likely in June. What the community can do is educate their their um, legislators, uh, their, their representative and their senators about why this is important. But also what the community can do is support nonprofits and organizations that are already working on these issues, like restoring ancestral winds, um, the Urban Indian Center. It's easy to talk about policy and to call your legislator, but um, I always encourage people to get educated on, on who who's in your community, what what kind of historical trauma did they experience? Why why is this an, an epidemic? And how do we move forward together? And and what are the what can they do to help advance others who are not like them? And so um, for me, it's about um, if we really talk about equity, because it's the cool word to use right now and everyone's use it, well, let's step up and really be an equitable community. And that means really taking a, a good look in the mirror. Representative Angela Romero, thank you so much for giving us some time today. I know you're busy with the impending visit from the first lady. So thanks for being here and uh, stepping up to the mic on Radioactive. I'll listen in. Okay, thanks great. for having me. And still to come this hour, we'll be passing the mic to folks doing the work when it comes to MMIW. We'll be talking with Danae Shandine from Restoring Ancestral Winds and the MMI Who is Missing campaign. Michelle Brown from Pandos and the MMIW plus Utah campaign. So do stick around to close out rallies and resources. We have a couple more special guests led by our friend and also Night Estadio host, Ma Black. Hi, Ma. Welcome back to Radioactive. Hey, Laura. How are you doing? It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, I miss you. Absolutely. <laughs> miss you too. Love your show on Saturday night. Starts at 10, right? That's right. 10 p.m. to midnight. Tune in for Night Estéreo every Saturday night and just come and have fun. And you're putting the bilingual into Night Estéreo moving forward, I understand. You know what? It's it's time. I have a lot of people, including yourself, wishing to practice their Espanol. See? So, yeah, we're definitely um, doing a very bilingual show. And so far, uh, the response has been incredible. So, yeah. Well, you were keeping me in the loop on Campana Libertad, which I didn't know about till the bell was already here. But there's something coming up with organizer Natalia Salache, who's with us. Hi, Natalia. Hi, everybody. How you doing? Doing well. We also have Vicky Chavez with us as well. Hi, Vicky. 
Hi, Lara. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, we got a lot to talk about with the three of you, but uh, let's go to Natalia first to talk about what's coming up. You. you know, Cinco de Mayo is two days away, but Cinco de Mayo is a very Americanized version of uh, a Mexican holiday. So I would really love to highlight what Campana Libertad means and what's going down at Centro Civico, I believe, on June 5th, right? June 5th, yes. Let's start with that, with that part, with Cinco de Mayo, the Battle of Puebla. Uh, that was on 1862. 1862, the French army, it was like the second time that was invading Mexico, and the Mexican army defeated the French army. And that was a battle for the invasion. Um, that's May 5th or May 5th in, in Spanish is Cinco de Mayo. So now everybody say it like in, a, in any language, but they said it in Spanish, Cinco de Mayo, which is May 5th. So May 5th, 1862, it was the Battle of Puebla, which means uh, Puebla is a town in Mexico that had a a very simple army and with just very simple um, weapons and guns defeated the, this French army, which was completely armed with all kinds of things. And still we won, we try to uh, keep him away from our land. And uh, Campana Libertad refers to, Libertad means freedom. And this is um, refers more to the Mexican independence. And the Mexican independence is in September 16. And, and that was a war of independence. Uh, Campana means bell. So it was a priest, El Cura Miguel Hidalgo, um, used the, to call people to fight for the independence. And that was a war. The war of independence started on September 16, and the date is, the year was 1810. So if you check, Cinco de Mayo is 1862, like 50 years later after the independence. So the war of independence lasted more than 10 years because ended on 1821. September 27, 1821 is when it was declared that the war was over and we were a free country. Um, so we had that independence period, the, the war in the bell is like the main symbol for the Mexican independence is it has the value at the level of our flag and some other national symbols. So in 2015, I had the pleasure of meeting these two institutions. One is called Honoris Causa, the other one Comunidades Hispanas. And the main goal for them is to preserve the values, the culture, the history of the Mexican family in foreign countries. 
especially in United States since we are closed. So everything they do is binational. And they have a proposal of having something from Mexico to the Mexicans um, in United States that could represent the value that we have for our national symbols. So they decided on working in this replica of the independence bell. And they made it especially for us, for the state of Utah. Um, there was like a meeting and different, like different type of events where they wanted to decide where to send it in United States. They were deciding between California, Texas, or Illinois, since they are the states that have the biggest Mexican population. I was lucky enough to be in one of those meetings and I asked why they haven't checked in Utah since the Mexican population is growing a lot and it's a new place and we have a lot of um, participation of women in business in, well, I, I try to talk like the best things that Utah has as much as I love this state and I try to present everything that I consider important for them to know on why they should consider Utah as well with the other states uh, so we can have the bill. I never thought they were gonna give it to us. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but at the same time, I, I, was so passionate about talking about my state and trying to throw the name right there so they can have a present. I say, Utah used to be Mexico. Utah is on the middle. <laughs> uh, California and Texas are, are way closer to Mexico, which makes the population to be more exposed to Mexican things. And in Utah, we are developing. And well, I try you know, to talk about all the good things that the Mexican community is building up here in Utah. And in October 2019, I got a phone call. So we're talking about four and a half years later, they called me and they told me that the group decided to send the bell to Utah. That's fantastic. What a journey. And on June 5th, you're going to be basically it. ringing it and revealing it. Yes, it was going to be last year, but for obvious reasons with the pandemic and everything, we had to cancel it. Yes. This bill was made, especially for us, it was made on the uh, state of Chiapas, it's way south. With the pandemic, they closed the shop and they have to finish it in a different state like Central Mexico in Hidalgo. And it has our name, it says Salt Lake City 2020. And it has the seal on the middle. It's so beautiful. It weighs a half of a ton. Wow. And now the base is almost a ton, like 800,000 pounds. And it's beautiful, it's huge, it's handmade. So there's no other one 
like that one is the replica of the national one, but this one is made specifically for us. Well, Natalia, what happens on June 5th and is the public invited? So we have some restrictions because we are still on the pandemic uh, situation. And we are going to unveil it on June 5th at Centro Civico Mexicano at 5.30. It's going to be an event uh, that is going to be transmitted live in different pages, like on the social media and the news. So everybody can enjoy and be part of it in, in a digital way since now is, is the thing, you know, we have to do it that way for uh, to take care of our health and safety and to follow the regulations with the health department and the yeah. city of Salt Lake. Natalia, thank you so much. We'll put in the show notes, the details and links so people can catch up with it. But what a four or five years of getting this done. That's the long game, folks, when it comes to being a grassroots activist and community builder. You just got to you got to stick with it. Natalia. It's just a month away. I'm so excited. I know. And thank you. Thank you for the history lesson, too. I think that's important to think about with how commercialized Cinco de Mayo is in America and what really is underlying that that history and for all of us to understand. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, Thanks for the invitation, Laura. Absolutely. Ma has two other friends with us with some things to talk about. And uh, I think I want to go to Vicky Chavez next, Ma. Is that okay? That's fantastic. I'm so excited Vicky's here. And you have a kind of a big announcement, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I think we do. Vicky mm-hmm. Chavez, who uh, left Sanctuary at the First Unitarian Church a couple weeks ago, and I saw on Facebook that you are already enrolled in school at the Salt Lake Community College. And um, we've asked if you would start doing some shows with us, and you've said yes. Thank you so much. We look forward to amplifying your voice. Yes, I'm so happy to be part of this show. And I, I, I know that I can learn for a powerful people like you and Matt Black. And I'm here sharing and, 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 and learning more for, for Matt Black and, and you, Lara Jones. This is kind of like the, the, um, the training wheels show because you're here to see how it works. So I appreciate you giving us some time. But uh, uh, you've got school going on. You've settled into your own home now. And things are going well after three plus years in Sanctuary. Was was really hard because I lived for 39 months in the shore, and now I, I I'm free to go everywhere. And today I went to the coffee store and I say, oh my gosh, I I, I love this smell, the coffee and everything. And I say this is my life, and I'm so happy to be here, and and, and I can enjoy everything that I was missing for more than three years. Well, welcome to Radioactive. Welcome to the team. And I'm sure that Ma can give you lots of pointers. That's where we first had her on the show uh, or on KRCL was through Radioactive, Ma. That's right. I actually started exactly like Vicky, starting as a guest. And uh, then you were like, hey, uh, can you come and sit with me and do a show? And I just kept showing up. And now I have a music show on KRCL. Uh, KRCL is my family. Uh, this is my fourth year with KRCL, and I could not be more excited that Vicky is becoming part of the KRCL family. Bienvenida, Vicky. Thank you so much, Martita Black, and I'm so happy to be part of the KRCL radio. So thank you for having me the well, we, opportunity to doing this. 
Absolutely. We pass the mic. That's what the show is built for. And Ma, we want to pass the mic to someone else in our community. I was hoping you could introduce our next guest. Absolutely. I am honored to have here our sister Licia Satini. And we are so excited about what she's going to be talking about. So thank you for being here, Licia. Hi, Licia. Welcome to Radioactive. Hello. Thank you for having me. So happy to pass the mic. I'm sorry it's for the reason that we are doing it, though, and that is the loss of your sister Margarita during COVID. Yeah, unfortunately, we lost her to to the virus, but um, we want to we're grateful to organizers such as Ma Black um, being part of this um, celebration of her legacy. And so thank you for having me here. So there's a mural that is being created. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how people can uh, support it? I understand there's a Web page or a Facebook page where folks can uh, check it out. Right. So we're looking at May 15th. So they'll be starting, of course, that week um, to start that mural of Margarita. Um, And so we wanted to honor her um, on that Saturday. And so the artist, uh, Bill Lewis, who will be, um, is another Pacific Islander who will be helping, well, he's actually painting the mural. And um, we have a lot of other organizers also involved. And so, we wanted to just take the opportunity to come together, you know, as a community and pay tri- tribute to the endless work that she um, continued to give back to our community. And so, yeah, you can find that on the Facebook group page. We'll put it in a, a link in the show notes. But what do you think she'd think of a mural of herself along the banks of the Jordan oh my River? Gosh, she would love it. <laughs> she would love it. She, she would totally eat it all up. So I know. Uh, Ma being a part of all of this, um, we were grateful for her and her influence and those that are tuning in today, because I know that community radio, that's, I mean, she, she had her thing going uh, at one point called the Rita Love and the Brothers Show, um, which they're looking to bring that back, but through, through another avenue. So we're excited and hopefully we can get, yeah, if the yeah. public, whoever wasn't able to make her funeral, this is a day... Um, to come and enjoy some music. We'll have some people sharing poems and there's going to be some food. Of course, it's a Pacific Islander event. Right? <laughs> well, it brings rem- us together. Yeah, I remember um, when I was pre- prepping for this show, I'm like, I know Margarita goes actually way back on Radioactive. And I was, I was looking it up and I was thinking the earliest date, I started here in 2015, was April 14th. 2016 and I'm just pulling it up as I talk because she's she's in this show photo that we have and she was oh. always willing to s- stand up, show up and speak out. That that's so true. I mean, that's that's who she was. She was always looking to show the voice uh uh as a Pacific Islander woman and to always be there for our communities of color. So I, I'm excited. I actually want to see that photo. I'd love to see that. So. I will I will send it to you. Drop your email in the chat for me. But she was here representing the Utah Pacific Islander Civic Engagement Coalition, along That's with right. folks she, from Racially yep. Just Utah and on and on and on. So I'll send you a yeah. link to that show from April 14th, 2016. Her voice will live on. And this mural is a great project. Thank you so much for Thank dropping you. in to share it with us, Licia. 
Thank you for having me. And that's your rallies and resources. Check tonight's show notes for links to everything that we've talked about. When we come back, our panel discussion on making the invisible visible as Wednesday, May 5th is National Day of Awareness for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Relatives. To get us there, a song recommended by one of our panelists, Danae Shandine. This is Sisters by The Hallucination featuring Northern Voice, A Tribe Called Red on KRCL 90.9. Hi, my name is Azra Bashic, librarian at the County Library. This week, we have three great picks on mental health. My first pick is maybe you should talk to someone, a therapist, her therapist, and Our Lives Revealed by Lori Gottlieb. This book offers a deeply personal yet universal tour of our hearts and minds. It reveals a portrait of what it means to be a human in a disarmingly funny and illuminating account. My second pick is I Miss You When I Blink by Mary Laura Philpott. Philpott takes us on the conflicting pressures of modern adulthood with wit and heart. She offers her own stories to show that identity crises don't happen just once or only at midlife. Reassures us that small, reoccurring personal reinventions are both normal and necessary. And advises that if you're going to faint, you should get low to the ground first. Finally, my last pick is for the little ones, The Hugging Tree by Jill Nymark. The Hugging Tree tells the story of a little tree growing all alone on a cliff by a vast and mighty sea. Through thundering storms and the cold of winter, the tree holds fast, sustained by the natural world and the kindness and compassion of one little boy. Eventually, the tree grows until it can hold and shelter others. And just to remind our listeners, all county locations are now back to pre-COVID hours. In addition, we offer curbside pickup and a variety of online programs. For more, visit slcolibrary.org. My name is Azra Bashic, and these were my three quick picks on mental health. Support for Radioactive comes from Mark Miller Subaru and their Love's Diversity Initiative. Supporting a more just world where everyone is celebrated as equals. More information about the Love's Diversity Initiative and Subaru products at markmillersubaru.com. Welcome back to Radioactive on KRCL. I'm Laura Jones, and it's 7 o'clock tonight. Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman and crew, followed by Red, White, and Blues with Brian Kelm at 8. Night Train with Michelle Tanner at 10.30. Brand New Day with John Florence weekdays at 6 a.m. And all of our programming and the Radioactive Archives can be found online at krcl.org. But Wednesday, May 5th is National Day of Awareness for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Relatives. And so many things going on in our community due to the work of the folks we're going to talk to next. Representative Angela Romero is still with us. We also are welcoming to the program Danae Shandine of MMI, who is missing and restoring ancestral wins, and Michelle Brown of the Pandos MMIW Plus Utah campaign. Welcome. Thank you for giving us some time today on Radioactive. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Laura, for having us. Absolutely. Um, Representative Romero earlier was talking about, you know, the folks that are doing the work in our community. And Danae, I remember, I think the first time it really kind of penetrated my brain was the use of your art and the silhouettes of, of women and the names that you wrote on them to represent the real lives lost in our community that people didn't know and couldn't see. 
Thank you, Laura. Yeah, we as Indigenous people have had to become very resourceful. And me as an artist, um, I've been plugged into this uh, crisis that we all experience as Indigenous people um, because my auntie was murdered. So I carry her story and um, and through that, um, I'm here doing this work. So um, right now I'm here representing the Great, Tribal Co Great Basin Tribal Coalition, Restoring Ancestral Winds. Restoring ancestral winds is a sacredness in listening to and elevating the voices of Indigenous communities to define the present and root causes of such high rates of experience violence. Supporting Indigenous people defining their own unique set of issues underneath capitalism and colonialism will allow for responses that are culturally just, something that the task force um, hopes to address. Um, so as Restoring Ancestral Winds, we're actively working to make the, the invisible visible. And a critical part of the work that we do is ensuring that um, we address the lack of data around the violence towards Native people. And um, that's because, it's, you know, data on Indigenous people is very problematic. Um, we, as Indigenous people, carry stories and histories that are embedded in our own DNA and our histories, um, you know, that have been narrated orally. And we know and we've known for a very long time that this violence has affected us in so many ways. Um, and that is our data. But I think to move forward in a good way, you know, where we want to see this included in, um, you know, the majority of public safety data, particularly here in Salt Lake City. Yeah, that was one of the stories I recall over the last couple of years, and maybe Representative Romero can pop in because I know she was in the middle of what kind of seemed like a, a, a spat over the numbers, the way institutions count things or don't count things, the dis dysfunction in the, in the communication, Representative Romero, between police departments and federal institutions. I don't know if you have um, some comments you'd like to add along those lines about trying to, to you know, break that, well, this is the way we've done it. Great. That's good. Whatever. Let's move forward doing it a different way, Angela. And, and that's really part of one of the, um, that was one of the main reasons why we were forming the task force is because we just, of course, hearing stories, but also understanding the, the data and why we don't have the data or, or us saying one things and our nonprofit organization saying, another thing and then the government saying another thing. So we wanted to make sure that we're we're clarifying it. And the only way we can do that is if we're accurately um, collecting the right information in order for us to pursue um, policy issues that will address the concerns that the community has. Yeah, Utah, Salt Lake, I think in particular came out as one of the top places in the country, didn't it? Where MMIW um, is happening or the numbers are not being kept, Angela. Correct. And so that was one of the urgent reasons why we formed the task force. Well, I'm looking at some of the, the MMI who is missing.org information and back pre-COVID. And uh, Danae, maybe you can talk about this. We, we The task force was trying to collect people's stories, and that's got to be hard to get those stories to, from folks who have suffered the tragedy. Um, and let's also bring Michelle Brown in here, too, from MMIW plus Utah. And that is a campaign of PANDOS, Peaceful Advocates for Native Dialogue and Organizing Support. Um, Michelle and Danae, talk to me about bridging the cultures here and how much that is an issue in moving, moving the needle on this. Danae. Well, I think it's important to recognize that um, because this issue is so vast and it's also a diverse issue, right? It affects 
the First Nations people of Canada to the Inuit of the Arctic Circle. Um, you know, we as Indigenous people recognize that Turtle Island, the North American continent without borders, um, you know, have been suffering from a violent 500 plus year colonial history. And considering we've belonged to this continent, including our Mexican relatives since time immemorial, um, those who are descendants of settler colonialism tend to ignore that reality and that history. And so if you can, you know, this May 5th is such a big day of awareness because we have to bring in the history of um, colonization and settler colonialism. And if we understand it from that basis, we can understand how currently today, um, our, our ways of being and our humanity is erased almost completely from, um, from these systems that uh, we are forced to live upon. And so if we understand it that way, we can really uh, make sense of why we aren't included in any data collections and why our stories are so um, silenced. But there is also the issue of indigenous people not trusting um, these systems. And that's something that we really need to address is restoring those relationships with indigenous people. And um, it's our responsibility um, from those who are not indigenous to address this issue because we can't do it alone. Um, this is not our violence that we've inflicted upon ourselves. And so, um, yeah, so calling for those kinds of actions and those understandings will really help us move forward in ways that are culturally just and victim-centered. Michelle Brown from Pandos and its MMIW plus Utah campaign. Uh, tell us about the work you're trying to do to bridge this divide. So within Pandos and our organization for MMIW plus, we are really trying to bridge that gap with education uh, first off as much as we can. And we are a grassroots volunteer organization. So I'd like to point that out. So all of our volunteers have full-time jobs, but are really passionate about the subject as am I, and have been directly affected by this issue. And so for us, um, and this issue becoming more prevalent in mainstream media has been really important. We've had organizations reach out to us where we can do educational webinars. And just as Danae had said, um, it's so important to address the fact that colonialism has a large part in this. And a lot of people don't know um, that this is such an issue for the Indigenous community. And it's just further evidence that this country has really done a great job of not teaching Indigenous history to the inhabitants. So it's super important to point out the historical context and what makes this issue so complex is just that, is that it doesn't feel as if it was such a pressing um, subject until more recently, but it's because I think that there's a lot of misconceptions around Indigenous peoples and the, the, the lack of urgency is because I think that there's a lot of lack in education on Indigenous peoples. You know, I, I think it was really brought into sharp relief when Rick Santorum um, really put his foot in it is probably the kindest way I could put it in talking about how um, 
we, this big collective, we birthed a nation. Really, there was nothing here. Oh, wait, there were Native Americans here. But really, I mean, it was um, an amazing um, statement and really showed the glaring ignorance of so many folks who just disregard whatever came before um, European settlers colonized this part of the continent. If you think of other countries like Italy and Greece and China and Turkey and places like that, they've all sort of changed over time. I mean, they've been, they've been there for, cent- for millennia in many cases. And their culture has sort of evolved over time. But not us. We came here and created a blank slate. We, we birthed a nation from nothing. I mean, there was nothing here. I mean, yes, we have Native Americans, but, if, but candidly, that, that, there isn't much Native American culture in American culture. That was particularly upsetting um, when I heard that. And I know that um, earlier in the year as well, CNN had said like, and other for Native peoples instead of actually addressing us as Native peoples. But I think that that's one of the big um, misconceptions and ignorance, honestly, um, when it comes to Indigenous people and understanding the larger scope of the issue and creates more distrust, honestly. Um, I've had a lot of questions in the past of like why, Um, It's so difficult for Indigenous families to come forward and share their stories about their missing loved ones. And, you know, this is part of the problem. And I think also the way that um, people who are investigating, most notably the police and their lack of knowledge on how to bridge that cultural divide, whereas, you know, depending on what tribe you are, um, and I just want to say, again, there's more than 500 registered tribes in the United States who all have different norms um, and ways of talking. There's different taboos in different tribes. And so the way you approach Native peoples on such a sensitive subject is not in the training of our police force. And there is historical distrust there. Um, And you have to think about the history of what's happened to our people and relatives and how people in authority have treated them historically. And so I think that starting with, you know, um, those types of organizations um, coming forward and looking and investigating, you have to think of the cultural context into which you're um, dealing with. So earlier this year in February, KUTV2 Investigations ran a story on cold cases, the unsolved murders, disappearances of Indigenous people in Utah by Alyssa Roberts and Mackenzie Ryan. And they went to the Department of Public Safety, and which in turn identified at least 15 cold cases with Native American or Alaskan Native victims out of the state's 377 cold cases, and uh, dating back to 1973. So I, I do that to illustrate for folks who are unaware, uh, you know, everyone's got busy lives and may not watch the news or or are up to speed on grassroots activists at Pandos or Restoring Ancestral Winds. But this data gap, can we address that? Like, where is it coming from? And what um, is is the step that needs to be taken to get the data that we need when dealing with our mainstream institutions uh, to, to take responsibility for the investigations that need to be done? Uh, Angela, is that something that you want to weigh in on? Representative you know, Romero? We're working on that because it's not, I mean, it's also um, just 
collecting data in particular when we're talking about um, BIPOC communities in general. And so this is something um, Chief Brian Red with DPS was working on. He's he's left the agency, and so this was something he was in a, he was bringing to the the task force. So I'm hoping whoever is appointed, um, the commissioner appoints, kind of um, follows. Um, Brian Red's lead on on this particular issue. So this is something that is very, um, very much a part of what we want to do with the task force. Danae, what do you think needs to happen with the data? And I do want to get to the um, survivors and relatives of it. So I'm, I, I don't mean to put data above the, the lived experiences, but in mainstream American culture, if we can't measure it, there's no there's no movement. So what needs to happen there, Danae? Um, quite frankly, this is a very simple, um, concept for me. If we, um, if we look at it as, so what Angela is doing right now, the only way that we have been able to move forward with this for people to understand it is Angela as an indigenous woman is advocating for indigenous people. We need to put people who represent these realities, um, at the forefront, leading this kind of work. And when we're talking about data, it needs to be indigenous led. Um, you know, there's this crisis is so pervasive and so urgent um, that we need to address it in a way that we can move forward swiftly because women, children, two spirit, men and boys go missing daily. And we need to do it the right way. So really we need to support um, organizations that are indigenous centered and indigenous run. Um, a lot of other organizations such as the Sovereign Bodies Institute or the Urban Indian Health Institute of Seattle have already begun this work. And like Angela said, we are looking to um, Minnesota for the work that they've done already. And it's gonna take, it's gonna take money. We always, as indigenous people, we get the scraps, we get change. Um, as in like not a lot of money when it comes to funding this um, kind of work. So it's just about putting those resources in the hands of indigenous organizations and indigenous people and letting them do this work. Michelle Brown from MMIW plus Utah at Pandos. What do you think needs to happen in terms of that data collection uh, and that, that need for data that our mainstream institutions want in order to measure federal dollars that we give out on these things? Um, I would have to agree that it's a very simple answer as well. What do we already know? We already know that indigenous peoples are suffering disproportionate amounts of violence. And that right away should tell you that um, indigenous people should be prioritized in that type of, type of data collection right away. Um, if you have um, any type of uh, marginalized community um, who is suffering um, larger amounts of violence, it would only make sense to prioritize them and their data collection. So again, just like very simple answer. And, you know, I feel like there are barriers um, to that for some people who might be ignorant of the actual facts, but um, I'm excited about the task force primarily because largely I feel like um, we have to be reactionary um, when people do end up going missing or turn up murdered that we've been very reactionary. And so I am excited for the task force knowing that there will be, you know, 
data collection that we can then be a little bit more strategic going forward and also legislatively. So that's the exciting portion of um, to me. But absolutely, I think that Indigenous peoples need to be prioritized because of the data we already do have. Coming up on Wednesday, Making the Invisible Visible is an event that's happening online from Restoring Ancestral Winds. Danae, tell us what that's about and how people can participate. So May 5th um, is really evident of our collective response as um, response to the missing and murdered uh, violence on Indigenous relatives. And it's a day to honor families and victims. And this has led our nations into a time of deep advocacy in hopes of healing this genocidal and colonial legacy. Um, Advocacy in every territory has prompted our communities to develop tools and systems that will allow us to hopefully allow the invisible to be seen, the silence to be heard, and for our missing to be found. Um, So the Missing and Murdered um, Dine Relatives, MMDR, and Navajo Nation's Missing Persons Update have responded with a development of a missing persons community action toolkit to help our relatives advocate and navigate the systems that have failed us. It should be a start in guiding us to be organized during traumatic times and empower us to hopefully locate and bring our relatives home. Um, and in that conversation with Navajo Nation Delegate Amber Crotty, we'll be discussing some of the barriers that prevent indigenous people from being found once they go missing creating deep wounds within our nations Um, and how Amber Crotty has dedicated her work to providing families tremendous guidance and resources once that violence takes place. What time is that happening? And is it on Facebook or Zoom? Um, We will be um, posting it on Facebook and our Instagram at 3 p.m. Mountain Standard Time on Wednesday. And lest people think that there is no data, because I went on and on and on about that, um, in your Facebook post, you talk about the fact overview, and I was hoping you could review that for us here before we leave, about the data that we know on missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls and men. Sure. Trying um, to preface that, uh, we must understand that we, um, the experts behind this data have, or who have interpreted this data, um, really want us to understand that this is probably an underreporting. Um, so the violence is probably worse than what these numbers illustrate. Um, but the US Department of Justice found that Native American women face homicide rates that are 10 times the national average. One in four missing and murdered indigenous females is 18 and under. The advocacy around this crisis does primarily focus on women because it is um, a gender violence that Um, impacts those who identify as female at alarming rates. Homicide, murder, is the second leading cause of death for Native American girls ages one through four. And that's probably the most um, devastating statistic. Every time I read it, um, I swell up and I feel it. Um, Those are our babies. And murder is the third leading cause of death for those youth um, 10 to 24 years of age and the fifth leading cause of death for a Native American and Alaska Native woman between the ages of 25 and 34. Four out of five Indigenous women are affected by violence. All Indigenous transgender and gender non-conforming relatives experience violence. And when we talk about our transgender and gender non-conforming relatives, we know that this is incredibly underreported because 
they are perhaps the most invisible um, amongst us. 65% um, of Indigenous transgender natives are sexually assaulted at some point in their lifetime. And the majority of gender non-conforming relatives experience deep rejection in their communities due to um, a patriarchal dominance in our communities. These numbers underscore everything we've just talked about in our conversation here in the lead up to National Day of Awareness for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Relatives. And folks, these are two people in our community working on this issue and need your support. Danae, how can folks support you and Restoring Ancestral Winds, the work you're doing? Um, you know, this is, there are so many ways and there's not one size that fits all. Um, whatever work that you do as an Indigenous person or a non-Indigenous person, um, it's important that we begin to undermine capitalism and colonialism within the institutions that we work at, within our homes. Um, you know, this violence is so pervasive that we as people have lost our, um, in my way, we call it eh, our, our relation to one another, our responsibility to one another. And um, I think it's important for us to begin restoring those relationships with those who are non-Indigenous or even having that relationship to begin with. And then also allowing for Indigenous people to restore those beautiful ways that once sustained us for so, so long. And we lived in peace and we took care of our families. We took care of our loved ones um, and we thrived. And, um, you know, I think that kind of relationality, if we can, it's more spiritual than it is, um, you know, uh, just like a, like a task that we do. It's, it's larger than that. It's really transforming the way that we think about one another and how we treat one another. Um, and that's my hope um, that we can restore those healthy relationships. What's the website for re Restoring Ancestral Winds? RestoringAWCoalition.org. Great. We'll put it in the show notes. Michelle, how can folks listening support you and the work you're doing for MMIW plus Utah and Pandos? Um, being a grassroots organization, um, we do get a lot of people who are interested who want to jump right in and help. And one of the first things I would say that would be helpful to us is prior to wanting to just help, I think first off, um, you need to educate yourself if you are a non-Native person on the actual issues and research the history for yourself um, instead of relying on Native um, individuals to teach you. I think come, come prepared, come ready, do the work um, to make sure that you are fully educated. And I know it's not, it's not something that happens overnight, but start the work at least prior to coming on and, and helping and, you know, amplify Native voices um, in everyday life and in organizations. Um, find a Native-led organization to volunteer for and um, be there to amplify that leadership. And um, one of the other things I would uh, recommend as well is make sure that you know the land that you live on, that you benefit from, um, from Indigenous people. Um, I think that's super important and it's largely ignored. Find out whose land you're benefiting from um, and contribute back in ways into that Indigenous community in, in any way that you can. Um, 
for for Pandos and for MMIW Plus Utah, um, for anyone who wants to become more involved, I will actually be speaking with Danae and with Angela on Wednesday as well, May 5th, Day of Remembrance for MMIW Plus. And um, you can find us on our Facebook page at MMIW Plus Utah. And we will be speaking um, with our panel at 6 p.m. MST, and there will be a Zoom link and as well as a Facebook live stream. Well, Michelle and Danae, thank you so much for giving some time to Radioactive and its listeners today. And of course, our mic is yours. Please keep us in the loop and uh, so we can help amplify your voices and your work. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having us. It was a pleasure. Yeah, I'll go on it. National Day of Awareness for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls, and Two-Spirit is Wednesday. One of the very small things you can do is wear red for MMIWG2S. Check tonight's show notes for links to our guests, their organizations, and the events they spoke about. I'm Laura Jones, and that's our show. Thank you for tuning in to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists and community builders. Weeknights at 6 from Listeners Community Radio of Utah. Have a great night. Thanks for listening.